Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Disability Dish, the UML Perspective. My name is Janelle Diaz. I'm an Assistant Director in Disability Services. This is Episode 7. I'm here with my co-host. Hi, everybody. Jody Ragens, Director of Disability Services. And we are so excited to have some special guests with us here today. Um, just a little disclaimer, as we always say, um, this is just a conversation, um, a discussion, just our opinions and perspectives about today's episode topic, which is positive contributions of disabilities integrated in the community. So um, we're just gonna kind of start off um, I'm going to have each of you kind of introduce yourself, your role at the university, and your relationship with the word disability, if you feel like you have one. Sure. I'll go first. Um, I'm Brian Richard. I'm a undergraduate biology major student here at UMass Lowell. how I got started here. Um, but I've also been active um, on campus in our club, Disable the Label. Um, Originally, I was just a treasurer, and then um, now I'm a sort of student organizer. I make sure that the club keeps going. Um, and then my relationship to the word disability, uh, I identify as disabled. Um, I'm pretty proud of my disability. Mm -hmm. um, I am not afraid of that word. I certainly um, use it quite often and talk about my experiences with my disability. Why I also have more than one disability, so I talk about my experiences with um, my disabilities in various, you know, um, places and sort of um, contexts, for sure, just to like, keep people aware. <laughs> oh. I'm definitely proud of my, my, my identities. <laughs> awesome. I love that. Hi, everybody. I'm Catherine Fox. I've been teaching at UMass Lowell for almost 20 years. Ooh. We have a uh, disabilities minor in the psych department, and that's that's where I do my teaching. I teach a course called Intro to Developmental Disabilities, and then I teach two fieldwork courses, and those fieldwork courses require students to spend time with a person with a disability at least 60 hours during the semester to make that you know, personal contact. Uh, one of those courses focuses on community belonging and uh, person-centered supports and one on leadership and advocacy. And beyond that, when I'm not teaching, I, uh, I've worked in the field of developmental services for almost 40 years. So I kind of go way back to the beginning, you know, when people were just moving out of institutions and into the community and have sort of, you know, been part of that, that evolution, you know, so that the good, the bad and the better over, over the, the past 40 years. So I'm really, really happy to be included in this conversation. Thank you. We're so glad for both of you to be here today. And, you know, another disclaimer is that Janelle and I struggled a little bit with this topic in terms of trying to figure out what we hoped to achieve in this conversation. And um, and so, you know, I think it's going to be interesting just to see among ourselves kind of how this topic kind of unfolds and what it means to us. So kind of jumping off into that, um, you know, I think we, I, I 
we'd like to hear a little bit about how you feel about what inclusion means, you know, to you and sort of um, what do you think about disability inclusion in particular um, and sort of starting there. I, I can jump in because one of the things that I think about that's happened over time, we used to think about the word, we used to use the word integration. Mm -hmm. And integration really meant that people were in a community, but not necessarily belonging to a community, um, not necessarily knowing anybody. So we used to say, you know, if someone went to the bank, like everybody else, that was integration. And we've, we've come a long way from using that word mm -hmm. of just being physically present to having, you know, the, the desire and to kind of really support people to be members of their community, to be included in whatever that means as far as the definition of community, whether it's to be, a, you know, of an interest group or of a neighborhood or, you know, a religious organization and sort of all of those, all of those possibilities. So it, it really, to me, uh, when I think about this word, it, it really means not being part of a group where people are paid to be with you. And that's how I differentiate inclusion and, and integration because um, so much of what we have done over, over the past 40 years is moving us towards places and visions that are more about truly belonging and having reciprocal relationships than just kind of being there. So that, that's my framework, that's how I think about it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I'm not that young myself, so I have also um, experienced a little bit of like an evolution in terms of inclusion and what that means. To me, inclusion fundamentally is more than just acceptance. It's like a celebration of one's self, you know, like, and being celebrated by other people for like being you. Um, I think, you know, we are quick as a society to accept, um, sort of, or move towards acceptance of like marginalized people and particularly with disabilities, but we aren't necessarily like, uh, interested or invested, uh, heavily in, you know, going above and beyond what's just like okay we accept that you are present like you are a part of our community but like that's it like it's not um there isn't anything to like um sort of move move the conversation beyond just like oh okay i actually see you you know like that's important and i think for a long time being just seen with a disability was hard um for many people, I think, you know, especially prior to like 1991 and then like even prior to like the 2000s, like it wasn't, there were just wasn't a lot of, um, every system was different. I mean, even like the institutions that we like were a part of, you know, growing up, like schools and stuff like that have changed so much. Um, I can remember being in classes that were, uh, you know, segregated, like kids with disabilities were not a part of those classes. And then I was in other school systems where um, things had changed and there was, you know, there were people with disabilities in classes, but then there weren't, by the time you get to high school, there was still like moving more towards segregation, even though we were moving as a society closer towards like any more inclusive environment um, for people with disabilities. 
Yeah. Catherine, you, you brought up a word that has come up almost every podcast episode we have, which is just the word belonging. And that's sort of been a, we have a couple of like themes that every time we're like, oh, we talk about this, um, you know, and belonging is one of those that, you know, is, you know, when I sit with that word, it, like I, I can, I can feel it in my heart, right? Like that word belonging is just like a really valuable word, um, you know, that you, that, that brings it an emotion. I think if we, if we really sat with that word. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's the one that touches on for me. And, you know, Brian, you mentioned something that, you know, I was reading recently and it's, it's relevant, I think, in, in the work that we can do too, in that, I was reading something about, you know, we're often telling people how to not get bullied or to not get deal with a bully, but that we really should be probably helping people to not be bullies and to, you know, and to help people be accepting of others. And I think that that also happens in sort of a, a disability community where we're teaching students that are neurodi- neurodivergent, you know, social skills and how to interact and behave in settings and and so forth. But Perhaps, you know, we also need to be helping everybody have people who behave in various ways and, and see the world differently and, and so forth, um, have the whole world kind of. Yeah, I think there's that. so there's sort of like a, a problem with like the idea fundamentally that as a person, you need to change to like mm-hmm. be more socially accepted. And I mm-hmm. think it's really problematic for people with disabilities because it's something that you are born with or like it's so far from being anything you can like fix or change it's like your race or like it's your identity it's one of your identities but it's like yeah it's an essential identity as opposed to just like something that um maybe has can be influenced in other ways um Mm -hmm. so like yeah there's a there's like a weird you know even just like the way in which we teach like you're just you mentioned like teaching neurodiverse people to be like more like Everybody being else. able to like interact with people socially more acceptably but it's like why can't we just teach typical people how to like interact with our you know neurodiverse community mm-hmm. a little bit more um I don't know like openly and just I don't think it's that difficult I think it's easier for us to accept other people with their differences than like force people with differences to like conform you know yeah yeah I I totally agree and and I really love the word celebration you know to think about that that word is is part of community I think we see the struggles more broadly with all of the initiatives and discussions and work around this bigger concept of diversity equity and inclusion and I think that what we find in thinking about inclusion for people with disabilities, you know, mirrors some of those, you know, larger stereotypes that we hold and the barriers that we hold and the challenges of not getting to know someone, you know, from an early age. When I went to school, there were no classes that had children with disabilities in in my class at all. When my son went to preschool, he was part of a class where, it, you know, there were children with and without disabilities. And honestly, he, he, he never even learned the word disability. There was yeah. just Susie and Sharon and some kids were annoying and some kids were friendly. And, you know, <laughs> that didn't really even come into play. But, you know, the, the long-term separation of people with and without disabilities by so many of the structures that we create, um, 
makes it take longer to kind of get to the place where we where we all want to be. And I totally agree that the burden shouldn't be, shouldn't be on you know the person to conform or be somebody other than who that none of us want that we we want to be welcomed and loved and accepted for for who we are um and we all deserve that so no, no difference in terms of the, the expectations here i always say it's the environment that you know enhances the disability at times you know absolutely yeah i mean i've i've had people say to me and family say to me that the actual disability that somebody experiences is much less of a barrier than the attitudes that people may have around them about disability. And that's really, that's the tougher, that's the tougher part sometimes for folks. I completely agree with that yes. statement. I feel like we've all kind of said it, or you both have said it in terms of we've come a long way, we're coming a long way from where things used to be. And I think, you know, back in the day, you know, I drive and I'm like, back in the day, was it even a thought to have somebody with, you know, in a wheelchair be able to be a driver? No, right. But, yeah. you know, um, having mindset of change and acceptance and, you know, what barriers are in place and how we can remove them um, is... Shout out to technology, too. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely right. shout out to technology. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's an area we do a, a, a two, two modules on universal design. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of us don't know much about it. It's not part of our world, so we don't know much about it. And so somebody may be working in a school system with someone who needs some support around communication, but not be aware that there's a lot of technology that can, that can be helpful. So, you know, all, all of those pieces of the puzzle are pieces that can remove barriers and that we really need to be knowledgeable knowledgeable about and understand you know what's what's out there and it's really exciting <laughs> yeah know, there's there's a lot in development all the time it is it's ever moving <laughs> we yeah. have to keep up with yeah. it constantly of sort of the the newest things but it's fun <laughs> and yeah Janelle. i was gonna say so we talked a bit about you know how we define um, inclusion, disability inclusion, but, and I know we are kind of touching upon this, but what's the importance of disability inclusion to both of you? I, for me, I would, so like, you know, philosophically, besides like what we need to survive on a day-to-day -day basis, um, I think that in a lot of ways we just, we look for like, um, we strive for like happiness, you know, a sense of identity, community, and like love and so um i think inclusion sort of touches on the four elements of our like existence beyond just surviving and so like um i think it kind of plays into like thriving too like it's more than just like um existing you know you're sort of um playing into like uh a more wholesome experience of just like then waking up and like being and then like, going to bed and like doing the same thing over and over, you know, you're sort of like the days can, all your experiences are like sort of new and like joyous when you're included as opposed to just like there, you know? I totally agree. And I think we all sort of got just a 
really tiny glimpse of the experience of what it means to be not included during the pandemic, you know, the time that we've spent alone and the impact on that and sort of the missing of relationships and closeness with other people. Huge. I mean, really, really huge for many of us. And it's it's in community and in places where we're included, where we find opportunities for friendships, you know, for, for learning, you know, for learning from other people. Um, that doesn't happen when we're, we're sort of by ourselves or, you know, just in a, you know, a service model where people, you know, they may really care about us, but, you know, they're kind of on a shift and they come and go very different than having people, as we all know, in our lives who who we can depend on, who, who we know love us for who we are. And um, it, it's just, it's vital. I mean, I think, did you use the word life force, Brian, or something like that? I just, I just really believe that's, that's such an important, you know, kind of mindset to have here. It's, it's not, it's not, and we should have inclusion. It's like we should have inclusion first and sort of figure out all the other pieces around it sometimes, kind of shift the paradigm a little bit to kind of mm-hmm. move, move this along. And it's, you know, it's not been an easy, um, it's not been an, an easy concept to move forward. It doesn't happen quickly. There's a lot of education that's needed. There's, you know, the community folks maybe aren't used to meeting people with disabilities. I think people in support roles don't really know how, you know, to, to make those connections. We have people that come to work in a job in a town where they don't live and they don't know anybody, and yet they're expected to help people make connections and they don't have them themselves. So there are a lot of like practical, almost technical assistance kinds of pieces to this too, that I think we can offer um, particularly organizations that, that you know, would need to make this as a priority. There was an organization or really more of a, a project called Creating Our Commonwealth in Massachusetts a couple of years ago. And it was funded by the commissioner of the Department of Developmental Disabilities to work with key organizations across the state with people that they would define as leaders in their in their organizations to help them understand better how they can promote and support inclusion, you know, from the beginning point of knowing who the person is, what it is that they want, what inclusion means to them, you know. So, um, you know, I think there's there's you know there are some good models out there about how we can how we can sort of move the agenda forward. But at the end of the day, you know, we. We all just need to remember that we need to first and foremost know who the person is that we're like looking to try to kind of move this agenda forward with and really understand who they are and what they want and how that might be totally different than anything that we care about or what we want. And <laughs> yeah, keep that in mind, you know, just you have to kind of you have to start there rather than this sort of, you know, kind of cookie cutter uh, idea of inclusion means, you know, being part of you know, some particular mm-hmm. group somewhere. Right. I 100% agree. It's different for everyone. What might make one person yeah. happy may be completely different for another person. And I love what you said, Brian, um, just kind of feeling like you can thrive and just kind of like a sense of fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody deserves the opportunity to, th- to thrive, right? Um, so on that sort of positive note, um, we as a team this summer watched a movie that I will just plug here because it was amazing. It's called The Disruptors. Um, and um, 
I want to say Amazon Prime. Let's go with that. Um, but um, it's a it's a brand new documentary and it's backed by lots and lots of people, um, lots of very famous people. But basically, it's flipping ADHD over and saying like, what amazing things can happen. It, it, in the core of the movie, it follows four different families that various people have ADHD in the family and kind of how the family's journeys goes. But interlaced through it is many very famous people who have ADHD and their their stories and uh, the work they've done. So, I mean, we're talking about the founder of JetBlue. We're talking about Howie Mandel, Will I Am, Terry Bradshaw, like people who are very, very high up in their specialty area or whatever, and they've brought amazing things. I mean, I, I haven't had great experiences on JetBlue recently, but in general, <laughs> I think it's a very wonderful airline, um, you know, and, and so, um, you know, things like, you know, they brought, you know, a whole new kind of look to, you know, air travel and so forth. And so kind of the creativity that has stemmed out of, um, you know, wonderful music and sports and all of these things um, with folks from ADHD. So it was a really neat thing. And I think it would be neat if we could think about something that you know exists in our everyday lives that um you know has stemmed from some kind of disability lens in some capacity but like has a positive impact on us now like that we don't even think about half the time Ooh, for this for this question i i personally um how what was it how disability has um, Something that like came out of a, of a disability change or initiative or so, the world that is like yeah. in our lives now. So, I mean, I have an interesting perspective in the sense that I wasn't born with a disability. So like mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't diagnosed with diabetes until I was like 13. And I never really considered that um, a disability at the time, you know, until I was 20 seven I just considered it more of like an inconvenience than like mm. a disability per se um I mean it was definitely a part of my identity I was like diabetic boy in middle school but like yeah. <laughs> um you know it, it wasn't until I like got my like neurological condition that I really changed perspectives on like how I viewed sort of like myself as being disabled and then like the world around me and so like I just think it shouldn't take that you know like it shouldn't have um I shouldn't have needed that catalyst to sort of be pushed to change my perspectives on like other people's views and like experiences but um I think it really did do that for me and then it um you know for me it, it sort of made me resilient in ways that I like didn't think that I could be you know like resilient um it's made me um, it's also made me like in a weird way, it makes me very happy to be sort of like a go-to disability person, you know, like, or diversity, you know, because I'm often in a space where I am the like token diverse <laughs> perspective. And so mm -hmm. like, I've become sort of the uh, de facto, like, oh, we have like a, should, if we have a accessibility question, let's just like ask Brian, because he's going to like mm -hmm. have a more informed like view or answer yeah. to our question and so that's been kind of like a fun weird um it's not a burden to me I kind of like get a kick out of it <laughs> <laughs> you know Trudy when you mentioned being inspired by a film or learning from a film it just reminds me 
of how many of us, and certainly including me, really need to see other people and sort of what their lives are like and what their challenges have been like and their successes have been like because we don't we don't know enough people to really kind of get mm-hmm. enough perspectives. Um, you know, at my organization, we do a film festival every year mm-hmm. that's focused on on disability. And um, I think we need to see inspiring stories. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to see stories that really help us put ourselves in the shoes of people in terms of the challenges around getting to the places that people want to be. And I can remember when I first started working in this field a long time ago, uh, meeting a man who had come out of the institution on the South Shore, someone who used a wheelchair, um, had very limited communication, you know, had at this time back in the late 70s, early 80s, this very sort of bizarre kind of huge device because we our technology wasn't very well advanced, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was able to capture his eye movements for some very simple communication. And um, at, at that point in my meeting him, I couldn't see someone who would th- later become an assistant in a school setting for kids who are in preschool. It just wasn't part of my understanding and nothing I had seen. And so meeting Ken just taught me so much about where my vision was and where my expectations were and how much those could change and be shifted and really what's possible. And I think that's true for a lot of just people in, in our in our communities that just haven't they just haven't had the um, opportunity to, to really know anything more than what they've assumed from the media or from stereotypes or just kind of the myths that have been around forever, ever and ever. And I'm not saying that, you know, this means everybody will have these accomplishments that we, you know, want to hold up and award. You know, I'm talking about just just recognizing somebody's personal qualities. See, somebody who has this like amazing ability to be patient. <laughs> You know, that's something to really learn from because I know I could, I need to learn a lot of that, right? Uh, so, yeah, I think we need to, we need to look at, you know, the, the personal qualities that, that, that people bring to the table too, as um, the kind of people we'd, we'd like to, like to get to know better. Yeah, I kind of, I love that kind of sense of just kind of getting to know someone broadening, again, our horizons and people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, um, just to kind of, again, get outside of the narrow-mindedness of, oh no, someone has a disability, they can't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, our students who haven't had, you know, much opportunity to know somebody or even meet somebody, We'll have the fieldwork experience. We do it in the intro class too. And honestly, they their lives change. They really do. I mean, that sounds really big and broad and grandiose, but but mm-hmm. their perspective changes. They meet someone, they see that they have something in common with someone, they you know, laugh and enjoy the company of someone, and they've never had that experience before. And it just shifts things. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I know I keep going back to this. We've got to know each other. We've got to have opportunities to spend time with each other. But I, I do think it's such an important piece of this. And we often talk about, we've talked about this before, and I feel like I talk about it a lot. It's just sort of, we're, it, it's sort of a, it's somewhere between a fear and a making a mistake that keeps people from, you know, stepping over that threshold and uh, getting to know somebody particularly mm-hmm. Um, one of the, our themes is, you know, phys- visible versus invisible disabilities and, 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 you know, a more visible or a more obvious uh, presentation of a disability, you know, it, often people are either fear driven or they don't want to make a mistake. Um, and, you know, this is came up in our very first episode and it continues, but is, is sort of those of us that are, are in it a little bit more deeply um have I know I have a lot less fear and I also make a lot more mistakes because it happens a lot more often you know I have a lot more exposure and a lot more often so to learn and grow and you know to and and to be committed to growing and and knowing that mistakes are going to happen and in that the repair of a mistake can actually go so much further you know um than than it can you know by just avoiding it um, and, and being afraid of it. Like often we're asked to, you know, help staff or faculty, um, you know, work with, with people with various types of disabilities. And, you know, they often don't know how to correct a student's behavior or correct um, something that happens and they don't, they don't, they don't want to, but it overwhelms them and really distracts them from their job of teaching, you know, and, and so kind of helping guide that, you know, this is coming of a place of fear, you know, that, you know, in it, but it's, but it's de- de- taking away from what, what you need to do because you're fearful of, you know, giving feedback to somebody about something or setting a boundary or something like that, you know, and so thinking about that, um, you know, I think, I don't know what we do about that, but, you know, people are just afraid to make a mistake or say the wrong thing, you know, and it's true, especially with words. I mean, we're always changing how we classify things or people's preference around how they classify themselves or a category. And, you know, um, I don't know, that one's, I don't know what I'm saying there, but. You you just remind me of a lot of stories of one you know, that I'll, I'll mention is a woman that we supported who was living in a, a community residence and um, used to go to the, the same bank and the community residents decided they were going to have a, you know, a 4th of July barbecue and uh, this woman wanted to invite the bank teller. <laughs> and so the, you know, the staff and, and this woman Sally um, asked the bank teller if she'd like to come to the barbecue and she was she was delighted but she thought maybe she needed some sort of special training or you know some credentials she didn't really understand that you could just come and be you be a guest (laughs) (laughs) but I think that's true for a lot of people they think they need some sort of special and you know knowledge to to kind of connect with with that person and I think that's important to recognize that that is one of the barriers that we need when to work it, on. When it comes to disability in particular, I think we're very easy to, like we're wired um, as people to assume that disabilities are just going to affect other people. And statistically, that isn't really like that true. You know, like oh. 40% of Americans are disabled and like, you know, one in four 20-year-olds becomes disabled by the time they reach retirement age. and 
those can be various degrees of disability, but like it's still, um, and also disabilities cut through all the other barriers that keep us like apart. And so, um, you know, like it doesn't matter what race or gender or like sexual identity, there's no, there isn't a, it doesn't matter. You're, you can be disabled. And so like, I think that there's something special about disability inclusion that um, sort of hyperdrives that um, like diverse experiences and like perspectives because oftentimes there's like more than one identity with like a person that who's it's not just like disabled you know there's other things happening and so like um I think but I, I can see where people come from like where it's it's easy to just sort of assume that it's like other people because like if you're born a certain way you just you don't expect it you know like no one's ever really prepared to become disabled uh, I know that was my experience when I became diabetic and then certainly again when I was 27 and like spent a year of my life in bed and then yeah like I was even diagnosed with cancer a couple years ago and like that was you know like again it was you just assume it's going to happen to other people and you're not like oh this is something I'm pre preparing for and I I think there's an evolutionary advantage to that you don't really want to live like anxiously on edge all the time but there's also a disadvantage to that because it keeps people from being sort of like uh, more inclusive just in general, you know? I think that's such an important point. Um, when we when we do our, our learning about all of the wonderful possibilities that, that we get from universal design, you know, we talk about how all of us may need any of these or many of these at any point in our life. And most likely when we're older, we're going to mm -hmm. need, you know, many of them. So, um, you know, you know, it only takes, you know, sort of a split second to, to go from someone who doesn't have a, a described disability to one who does. And, you know, we're the same person. We're mm -hmm. not any different. <laughs> we're still the same person. And thinking about sort of just, things that are universal design um, that we may not even notice on our daily lives that, you know, we're stemmed out of something. I, I think it'd be interesting to think, to remind our listeners sort of some of these things. So one thing that comes to mind, and I had written a couple here, but one thing that comes to mind is sort of like just standing at a crosswalk and then there's a, a, a person who now says walk, walk or wait, wait, or, you know, whatever. Um, and and honestly, we're sitting here on our phones half the time. And so I I love that it tells me that because then I look up from my phone and realize I can walk, you know? Um, and so, um, you know, but that that stems is a universal design thing for somebody who may not be able to, you know, see the the sign change and see the the signals change. And so, you know, but that's um, an intrinsic sort of thing now that's in our society. And I have to say, when I visited Japan, they play this like really cool little ditty when you can walk across the street it makes you kind of want to like boogie and dance, which is kind of wonderful. And I would encourage every country to do that. Um, but um, you know, that's just like an everyday thing now for us, right? Um, so yeah. I wonder, like, are there other things we can think of that just elevators everywhere? You know, I mean, people with babies mm -hmm. use strollers and like definitely use the elevators, but like those elevators are in place mostly 
because of the Americans with Disabilities Act, like prior to that, there wasn't elevators everywhere. Right. And I think that we just kind of forget that like there are so many things that are basically because of people with mobility issues or um, yeah, like different, even like, like a visual impairment or a hearing impairment might make mobility or aspects of mobility challenging. And so like, yeah, just getting around and being places can be, um, I know I experienced this like last night. Uh, I went to a concert and like concerts are super problematic for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, you're often put like you're reminded that of your sort of place in society because you're reminded that like if you have a wheelchair, you're going to be in a nosebleed section or you're not going to um, be able to see anything or you're even not going to be able to go to a, a venue because a lot of places are grandfathered in and Mm -hmm. cities like Boston or Lowell even like where there's no ramps there's no um it's stairs only and if you're kind of out of luck otherwise so like um right. yeah I you think spend that, half the time utilizing the add-on thing that they made to make it accessible to to get to the to get to the thing that you're trying to go to um yeah yeah you know, I, I was thinking when you were talking about you know elevators and crosswalks just about the push pads on doors mm -hmm. I mean we take those for granted you know maybe it's helpful it is helpful of course if you have a child in a stroller but if you have your arms full or you're carrying books or you know it's just sometimes just an easier an easier way to get through and you know we don't think about when that's not working like if it's not working for us we just open the door but if that's not working for someone who relies on that feature to get into the building or the first door opens because this happens a lot and then you're in that sort of foyer area and the second door doesn't open and you get trapped in between because there's not been sort of a regular attendance to the maintenance of something that is you know like so simple and, and not at all costly um we have our students do a assessment an accessibility assessment of buildings on campus and buildings in the community from the perspective of if I was using a wheelchair or if I have a vision impairment or if I have, you know, difficulties hearing, what is that going to be like? Not, not, don't just go through the checklist, but really think about it. You know, think about, you know, you've, you've gone skiing, you had an accident, now you're in a wheelchair. How, how are you going to get to your class and sort of get around this building? You know, how does that work or not work? Um, and it, it really is eye-opening for people because we don't pay attention to these features if, if we don't rely on them. Mm -hmm. And it really is eye-opening and, and not just the, the access and how that limits or promotes inclusion, but, you know, there's a woman that I know, we we're at a conference together and you know she needed an elevator and there was an elevator but it was at the rear of the building it was more like a freight elevator so kind of the stigma and the just the problem at, at that level you know is um just something we can change like we can especially when we're doing the building <laughs> you know we, we we really 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 need to involve people with disabilities in those designs and those plans and to test them out. I was part of renovating a, a home and the whole point of the renovation was that someone who lived there 
who had been in the hospital could come back because he would need to be both in a wheelchair um, and in a bed a lot of the time. Um, and they sort of made a kitchen that they called accessible, but the only thing accessible about it was that it didn't have cabinets underneath the sink. <laughs> we didn't really have the specifications right for how somebody might be able to reach the various, you know, functions of the faucet and so on and so forth. And we, we even do that as some of our, you know, newer buildings where it might not seem like a big deal that the paper towels are really high up over the sink, but if you can't get there, it, it matters, right? I'm not even five like, feet, and that's a problem I have in daily yeah. life. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 but it's 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 like such an important. You know, and you bring, about. A, you bring up an interesting point, Catherine. I was reading on our listserv the other day. It's very chatty right now about move-in time, and uh, and our listserv was saying something. Somebody was posting about, oh, we have somebody of a short stature that that's here, and. They are saying they can't reach the shower head and, you know, do what, what do we need to do to install like a whole separate shower system and da, 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 da. And like someone's response was so easy and obvious. It was like, well, couldn't they just install a detachable shower head? So anybody at any stature could detach the shower right. head and use it or like one that's on a track where they could put it at the place that they need to, they need to. Um, and it was like, Oh yeah, um, that's not hard, um, you know. And and so even thinking about that, somebody you know felt like I don't know how to problem solve this problem, and it was like really resolvable. And so you know, the that's a that's a thing too is people should just be talking to people because there's often solutions that are right there that don't you know. They're not always they're not always the cheapest, and I know that's like a huge kind of like barrier. And so, but. <laughs> I think it's often like worth the investment because everyone sort of like has a better experience afterwards. I know even like silly things, like just the size of a person, right? Like we're, yeah. we design everything for like an average size person, but like if you're large or awkwardly proportioned, like things like the space between the seat in front of you and next to you at like anywhere unlike mm -hmm. that has you know stationary seats like a concert or here at the songus right when i sit in those seats i'm like in a nightmare cramped up position i like literally can't handle it and i'm average size so i can't imagine if i was tall or like large in any way like uh this would be horrible so like just including more space you know like is i think it's just a better experience for everyone you know and then yeah I feel like sometimes, you know, some services that are being provided are in the business model framework versus an inclusive model framework. Um, and that really is what kind of drives these decisions versus including people that they're serving, which is super important, right? Like, this is why we are having these types of discussions, because mm -hmm. it impacts our day-to-day -day lives. And on various levels, whether you have a disability or not. Um, and I just think, you know, how do we kind of shift from that business framework to a framework that includes everyone? Because it seems like that's what, you know, most people want, right, to some extent, um, but how can we make it work? So. What can we do to like promote disability inclusion and promote businesses and communities to make these 
changes that are affecting people on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, one of the things I think about is a, a woman who also teaches disability studies here at, at UMass, Lee Borderer. She's she's part of a, a you know a community council in her in her town, and that council has two people with disabilities on it. You mm. know, so one one thought is just looking at you know who's represented among the decision makers all the time, mm -hmm. and sort of looking for some diversity in that group. That's including good. including boards of organizations. I mean, you can sort of go on and on about about that idea, but it's not such a hard one to to implement. And you know, it does require really being committed to the full participation of the person. And what does that mean? And what does that person need in order to fully participate? So, you know, I, I have been witness to examples where someone is there, but there hasn't been that thinking about how to help that person participate. You know, a lot of the people that I have worked with are people with intellectual disabilities. And so, you know, how, how do we really think about making sure that their inclusion really, you know, brings out the best in them? And so what might they need for us to do to support that? Catherine, we're going to need your help because of Governor Baker's new bill that is opening up, you know, more access to public higher education for folks with intellectual disabilities and sort of mm -hmm. what that looks like and how that will make uh, an experience good for those students who are choosing to attend and also our, you know, our entire sort of campus climate. Um, and yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I always think about the question of what, what a colleague of mine will pose and the question is what would it take for this person to be included and thinking about it as much as we can person by person and of course there will be trends and themes and things in common mm -hmm. but that question moves us away from the question of can this person be included or not right. which is kind of where we often pose the question we start you know, with the negative lens on yeah it. Like, and, and i don't so, think this is going to work right yeah and, and sort of some some sort of you know you're in or you're out mm -hmm. rather than what what would it take and really sort of thinking about all all of the pieces of that puzzle and sort of you know what can we do how much of that can we do what can we do first you know it's it's really really requires a lot of I think just strategic thinking, which we all know how to do, but, um, you know, a really simple example related to inclusion is a woman, you know, that I, I got to know through my, through my job, we did a, a yoga class and, and she loved it. Amy, Amy loved it. She, she just loved it. And so we wanted to help her get out of the class or expand her, her opportunities. So she wasn't doing yoga just as part of the service world, but that she could do yoga in a class like I do. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the whole thinking was, well, what, what, what do we need to think about for that to be successful for her? So, you know, does it need to be a gentle class? Does it need to be a class that's small? Does she need to meet the instructor first? Do we need to do some classes with her to help her prepare to be successful. Does she know what you typically wear to a yoga studio? You know, you can kind of just list all of those things out and then, you know, you kind of increase the chances of at least the, the initial point of that being more successful than not. So um, I think we know how to 
do it. I think that we just haven't really kind of built things that way. We tend to think about, well, they, these are the five things that everybody needs, you know? So um, sort of switching to a more person approach is mm -hmm. often think, the way to go. I think you touched on something really important there, like asking how versus like can. Really, yeah. you can't give people the opportunity for an out. Like if you give someone the opportunity to say no, they're going to say no. Like, mm -hmm. why would you give, why would you take on more work if you don't have to take on more work? Why would you take on more responsibilities or like care, empathy for others if you don't have to? Like there's an investment and an emotional investment in that. And like, even if there's not like financial or other, there's intellectual investment, you know, there's sort of like um, something that people have to give up in order to interact with that. And I think giving people the opportunity really presents way more times when that's going to be, you know, turned down and people are not going to take that um, really the chance to step up and like make mm -hmm. someone's make someone in particular, but then like in general, other people's lives better. Like we, we talked about, you know, we touched on this universal design helps everyone. And so like this, you know, the universal just acceptance kind of helps everyone. Um, I think, you know, in terms of like, how do we move away from like a business model to is also like just accepting um, or really using diversity and life experience as like a um, qualifying, you know, characteristic or like a qualifying condition for like employment even, right? Like, or like school, you know, like we, you oftentimes we like talk about how like you you know you need something you need experience you need this you need that you know going into to bef before you can even like be accepted into this like sort of like world um and so like but ex you know taking someone's just life experience as like as valuable as like good grades or like you know how much money they're worth or like what family they come from or what their race is like you know just taking like someone's whole life experience and like where they are as like valuable i think would do a lot to like sort of move away from like seeing everyone as or everything as like a monetary experience you know like how do you profit here how do you profit there i mean like you just it's weird it's very weird that we profit off like everything like yeah and and it's very immediate you know we're we're such an instantaneous like a immediate gratification i need it right now and so our investments are often so shallow like they're so short-handed you know it's like the seat size thing right it's like that might make sense to get a whole lot of people into like each concert but like that doesn't mean that every concert is going to sell out that arena right mm -hmm. like it doesn't mean that every sports game is going to have every seat filled and so like why not make it more a little bit more exclusive in the sense that like right. they might you know like it might sell out quicker but like when you're there you're not going to be like miserable and like complaining that you spent however much money on this experience to like not even be comfortable like this makes no sense to me you know like there's a sort of a um moving away from like that instant gratification that's tough difficult like we're just we're human and so i don't I don't know if we can get there, but yeah, I think seeing people more whole, you know, holistically is, um, might get us there quicker. Yes, thinking about, you know, sort of what, what would it take? There's a wonderful film 
that sort of speaks to that question through the lens of school inclusion, and it's called Including Samuel. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a beautiful film. And it, it takes you through the lives of three different children and what the school system, the teachers and the families had to think about in order to make the experience a, a good one for, for the students. And it shows the, the struggle the teachers have. I mean, struggle, you know, if a teacher hasn't had a student with disability in their class before and <laughs> they're not gonna know the, you know, the, the ways that are gonna be the most helpful. And it, it just really, really shows this wonderful picture of people having the question in mind of what would it take rather than can he or can't he or should he or shouldn't he. And, um, you know, poses a lot of a lot of the questions that, that are important ones to, to think about in, in, the, in the process. And, and it shows, you know, the, the wonderful changes that happen, but it also shows that it's nothing magic here it's not easy it's it can be really really difficult um but how important it is you know how important it is at the end of the day yeah I feel like both of you have touched upon it's going to take work right from everyone (laughs) um which is what you know we're trying to kind of send the message of to our university community like it takes a village not just one person exactly Exactly. Um, but if we are wrapping up towards the end. This um, hour whipped by. We have our last question. Um, so what is the takeaway from today's conversation that will stick with you? And has anything changed about the way you feel either as a person with a disability or as an ally about disability stigma? So takeaway and has anything changed about how you feel as a person with a disability or an ally about disability stigma? Uh, I, I just want to say that having these conversations, just hearing other people's perspectives, you know, we all have some similar ways of thinking about the importance of this, but we all bring some examples to the table that are different from each other, and it just enriches all of us to be in places where, where we can have have these kind of conversations. And I know the university has uh, disabled the label who, who has that as their mission. And we also have um, an inclusive sports group that has that as their mission. And we have Best Buddies that has that as their mission. Um, and so I, I just love that this podcast is, is another piece of that. Um, you know, interest and desire to get people talking and thinking about such important issues. Thank you. Yeah, I would I would agree. I think um, just the word dis- disabled and disability, and um, I think there's a lot a lot of stigma wrapped up in it. And I think it makes people uncomfortable, even just um, sometimes using that word in conversation. And so. Um, yeah, hearing these conversations make me happy, but it's also like makes me reminds me that like we need to t- totally talk about this like all the time, whenever we can interject, um, especially in a college setting, you know, like there we don't we don't talk about it enough. And like, I don't think again, I don't think you should like be hyper prepared for like every possibility, but like being so unprepared that you 
are sort of shocked when it happens or becomes like a an aspect of your life that is more than just like someone else's problem then yeah i think i think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways i'll, I'll get from today you know mm-hmm. for me i think you both pinpointed something that i that i use but i hadn't really pinpointed it was right right at the end here when you were kind of saying that how can we make this work and and brian then you kind of defined it to like not can but how and you know i feel like on a daily basis when we're telling students you know this is now you have accommodations this is the conversation with your faculty i often say to them you don't ask them to use your accommodations those are you know le- you're legally obligated to be afforded them but the conversation needs to be how are the logistics going to work um you know and we use it every day but i really hadn't pinpointed that that really needs to be sort of a a sentiment which is you know we're not we're not asking to be part of this world. We're asking how this world is going to like make the logistics work for us. And so kind of thinking about that um, in a pinpointed way, I appreciate that that came up. For us. Yeah. I mean, as a person with disabilities, we're often sort of made to feel like a burden. And so like, it's, you don't want to inconvenience people and mm-hmm. like, you know, it's sort of like an innate quality that we all have. And so mm-hmm. it's very easy to just be like, can I, and be timid yeah. around things that like are, in this case, obviously we're at a college setting. So it's like you said, legally afforded to us. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a different, different experience, but like in the real world, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's not the same way, but like you should still have that same attitude. Yeah. You know? How, how can I show up to this thing? How can this person show up to this thing and have the experience? And yeah. So I, I'm appreciating that and gonna 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 sit with that for a while. Agreed. And for me, kind of stemmed off of that. How can I support a student using your word, Brian? Thrive. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it. I thank appreciate- you so much, everybody. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Great to see everybody. Great to meet yeah. you, Brian. <laughs>